Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Icky Soma. I'm lead pastor of uh, the Spring Branch campus, so I bring you greetings from Spring Branch. Uh, so excited to be here. As you know, uh, we are one church in three locations, and so this Sunday we're rotating pastors. So Kevin Barra is at Spring Branch, and your pastor, Johnny Marks, is at Tumball. So y'all pray for him as y'all pray for me. Um, imagine in four days it's going to be the 15th of the month. And on the 15th, you will go into your comptroller's office to get your paycheck. And the comptroller tells you, hey, there's no check for you on this payday. And you're like, what's going on? Why no payday? And they say, hey, there's just no check. Or imagine if you're like me and you do a direct deposit. You wake up on the morning of the 15th or on the 16th to check your bank account because you've got now bills to pay. And you find that there's no money in your accounts at all. And so you call the office, the accounting office, and say, hey, I don't have a check even though I've done the work. I haven't received the check. What's going on? Or imagine this, um, if you all were watching the news tonight, and as you're watching the news, they have a string of bank robberies in Greater Houston, and they say we have a suspect, and they have the picture of the suspect, and they have the name, and then all of a sudden you realize that the suspect is your neighbor. He lives right next door. And so they say, if you've got a tip, call it in, and you'll get a $10,000 reward. And so you're like, okay, I may take a risk here, even though he's my neighbor. I'm going to call it in. So you call the Harris County Sheriff and you say, hey, this guy's my neighbor. About an hour later, you notice police lights flashing. They break down the door and they arrest the guy. You call the sheriff's office and say, hey, where's my reward? And they say to you, no reward at all. So can you imagine if you had that, if you got no paycheck, no direct deposit, no reward for the work that you've done? I'd be, if I were, if I were, if it were me, I'd be evangelically ticked by this point. Um, so here's the thing. For some of us in here, that may be very well what happens to us in eternity. 1 Corinthians 3, 2 Corinthians 5 says that one day we'll stand before Jesus Christ and have to give an account for everything we've done from the moment we got saved, and we will be rewarded. And for some of us in here, we will have no reward. And today we're going to look at how to lose your reward eternally with God, but also how to gain your reward eternally with God. So how to lose your reward and how to gain your reward. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 6. We're still in the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount, the purpose here is to basically say, you know what, for the Pharisees and the religious people, like if you try to do good works on the outside, God is looking at your heart. So make sure your heart is gripped by the gospel and transformed by a relationship with Jesus Christ because you cannot do it on your own. But then for us who have put our faith in Jesus Christ, these are like the kingdom rules. If you are a Christian and you say Jesus is your king, this is what you would be doing as a kingdom citizen. So let's look at verse 1 of Matthew chapter 6, Matthew 6, 1. How to both gain your reward or lose your reward, how to gain your reward with God. Look at verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. Verse 2. So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. So here's point number one for those of us who keep in score at home is practicing righteousness in order to be seen by people is the key to losing your reward from God. If you want one key principle where you will stand before Jesus one day, and this is not between heaven and hell judgment, this is between levels of reward in heaven. Uh, for all of us in here, one day we'll stand before the great white throne judgment. And that means that God will separate believers from unbelievers, a sheep from the goats. And those of us who put our faith in Christ will then go to a second judgment, and that judgment is known as the great Bema Seat. And the picture is of the Olympic Games. Based on what we did with our lives from the moment we put our faith in Christ, God is going to reward us. 
And so here's the thing that he's saying right here. God is not only concerned with what you do, God is also concerned of why you do it. He not only looks at your actions, God also looks at your motives. Are y'all with me? All right, Spring Branch folks, like I'm training them to kind of respond back. And I'll just say this. The more amens I get, the more I hear you, the more whatever, like the shorter the sermon. The longer, like less, it's going to be a longer sermon. So I feel like y'all aren't listening. I have to try to explain it to you more. All right, that just cut down two minutes from the message right there. Thank you. And this is what's going to happen. There are seven crowns in the New Testament. So one of the rewards for faithful living, doing the right things for the right reasons, is you receive a crown. Now, this is what's going to happen in heaven one day. One day, those of us who put our faith in Christ will all be rallying around, worshiping around to him who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb. From every tribe, nation, and tongue, we'll be worshiping together. And this is what Revelation pictures, is the one who sits on the throne and the Lamb, the crowns that are given to people who have been faithful and doing the right things for the right reasons, will then, out of a heart of love and adoration, will cast their crowns before Jesus. Are you all with me? They will be casting crowns. I think that's a great name for a band, by the way. But anyway, um, they'll be casting their crowns to say, Jesus, I love you. I thank you. I cannot pay you back, but I can give you this crown that you gave me as reward. Now back to you. We'll cast our crowns. And this is a picture. I don't know about you, but have you ever been invited to a party, birthday party, a retirement party, and no one gave you the memo that it was a birthday party, a retirement party, and you show up and everyone else has a gift for the person retiring or the birthday uh, person? and you come without a gift, don't you feel a little bit embarrassed that everyone else has a gift for the person they're celebrating? Well, here's the news that some of us in here will not receive a reward, a crown, because of the fact that we've done the right thing, perhaps for the wrong reason, and we'll all show up to party, to the party, and you will come with nothing to bring to the king. Everyone else will be tossing their crowns before the king in worship and adoration and thanks, and here you will be at this party without a crown. So he says here clearly, if you want to lose your reward, he says what you do is the right things for the wrong reasons, for the applause and, and, and adoration of people. That word there in verse 1, that word noticed, he says, before men to be noticed. Let me back up. Um, that word righteousness means doing the will of God. So righteousness means doing the will of God. So he says, beware of practicing doing the will of God. And the picture here that we're going to look at is, uh, over the next couple weeks, is Giving, praying, and fasting. The Pharisees and the rabbis were notorious for doing those three things, and they would often do them publicly for show. Again, giving, praying, and fasting. So he says, beware of practicing, verse 1, your doing the will of God before men to be noticed by them. That word noticed in the Greek is theomai, theomai, from which we get the English word theater. And so he says, be careful, be aware that if you make your audience the people around you, and you're the actor, praying, giving, serving, whatever the thing, good thing is, and you've made people your audience, and the applause of people and the recognition of people your audience, he says you have lost your reward with God. That's the reward you have, the adoration and the applause of people. Then he says in verse 2, so when you give to the poor, he says, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do uh, in the synagogues and in the streets so that they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. And this is a picture here. He says what the Pharisees would do and the rabbis would do in the synagogue is they would blow the trumpet. And so it was offering time when they would collect offerings for the poor and they'd blow, this is a vuvuzela from South Africa, but 
they'd blow it and then everyone would know it's now time to give the offering for the people and the poor among us in our community. So people would come up and they would drop off their offerings. And then the other people say, wow, look at that. They're so awesome. They're so godly. They must really love God. They're, they're giving to the poor. And then the rabbis would collect that and then they would go out in the streets to the poor and then they would blow a trumpet. And as they blew the trumpet, then all the poor would come and they'd have this big spectacle out in the streets and they'd be given money to help people pay bills and get food and all that. And all the people would say, wow, they're so godly, they're so amazing. And he says, if you do that, if you do that, he says here, the word here is, as the hypocrites do, in verse 2, he calls you a hypocrite. And often we think of a hypocrite this way, if you do, you say one thing, don't smoke, don't cheat, and then you live another way, you smoke and you cheat. That's what we call hypocrisy. But here the text says, if you do the right things, giving to the poor, helping people in need, but you do it for the recognition of people, for the wrong reasons, he calls you a hypocrite. The Greek word there is upokrites, upokrites, which sounds like what English word? I told y'all, if y'all don't respond, <laughs> sounds like peanut butter, right? No, it sounds like hypocrites. It's, it's, the word is right there. He says, you've become an actor, playing to the audience of the people around you. Uh, back in 2019, a year ago, the NBA flew all the NBA chaplains to Charlotte for the All-Star Game for some training. So we got a chance to go to the All-Star Game. They put us up in this very nice hotel, and they took us to all the festivities of the All-Star Game. My wife and I got a chance to go to the dunk contest. There's a player I got to know on another team that was in the contest, so I was cheering for him. But here's the thing. In the auditorium with 15,000 fans, these dunkers were not performing for the 15,000 fans. You know who they're performing for? The five judges. Because it didn't matter what the crowd thought. Really, they were there for the five judges on the floor who were judging their dunks. Not for the crowd. They could hold up nines and tens and eights and all that. Really, it was determined by what the judges thought. And you know who our ultimate judge is? It's not the pastors, not the elders, not the people sitting around you. You do what you do because God is watching you. You do what you do because God is watching you. Not the crowds. Not the elders, not the pastors, not the people around you, but because God is watching you. God is watching you. Um, so what we need to do is check our motives. Look at uh, this, though. Look at uh, Matthew 5.16. Matthew 5.16. Just one chapter over. Matthew 5.16. This is one of those things that seems like Jesus is contradicting himself. Verse 16, Matthew 5, 16. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works. Wait a second, Jesus. You just said if we do our good works and be seen by people, we've lost our reward. But notice what he says. And glorify your Father who is in heaven. So he says, it's all right to do good works in public. It's all right to do stuff in front of people. Make sure your motivation, though, is God gets the glory. Right? Not, not you get the shine and the glory and the props and the praise, but make sure when you do those good works, people say, wow, God is awesome. God is amazing. God is good. God is loving. That they would point to God. Because again, you can do the right things for the wrong reasons. You can do godly things for ungodly reasons. Look at Jeremiah. Jeremiah 17. Again, people see actions, but God sees the motives and the actions. Jeremiah 17, 9. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. 
Who can understand it? Rhetorical question, God can. Why? Verse 10. I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind. Some translations say I test the motives. And even to give to each man according to his ways, according to the results of his deeds. So again, we see people's actions, giving, praying, serving, preaching, praying, all those things. But God sees the heart. Turn to Proverbs 16.2. Proverbs 16.2. Proverbs 16. If you're there, would you say amen? amen? All the ways of a man are clean in his own sight, but the Lord weighs the motives. He says, you may sit in your own eyes and say, I'm doing the right things. He says, but you know what God looks at? God looks at your heart and he looks at the motives. Look at Proverbs 21, 2. He says the same thing in a slightly different var variation. Proverbs 21, 2, every man's way is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the hearts. Look at Proverbs 21, 27, 25 verses later. The sacrifice of the wicked or the evil is an abomination. How much more when he brings it with evil intent, with evil motives. So again, even the evil people, they may bring an offering, doing a good thing, but they have wrong motives. So again, in this text, the Pharisees would blow the trumpet. They would toot their own horn saying, look at me, I'm the theater, I'm the actor, you are the crowd. And he said, if you do that, the applause from the people, the recognition from the people, that's your reward. But for God, you've lost your reward. You've lost your reward. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I don't blow trumpets anymore when I'm doing stuff. But I think for many of us, what we wrestle with is still motives of why we do certain things. Let me give you an example. I think we often do this on social media, on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook, where we will show people, tell people all the good things we're doing, right? So you're saying something like, going to help Hurricane Harvey people. We're going to go muck out houses. Hashtag Jesus. Hashtag kingdom. Hashtag, you know, suffering servant, right? And then people are like, 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 heart, 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 care, care, heart, like, whatever, right? Now, you can still do that to have pure motives, but if your motive is the likes and the hearts and the cares and the thumbs up and all that, the retweets and all that and the shares, God says, that's your reward. Great job. That's your reward. The likes, the thumbs up, all that, that's your reward. Because one day when you stand before Jesus Christ and you say, oh, I helped people muck out houses and I did this and did this and did this during Harvey, Jesus is like, yeah, I know you did that. But you did it for the recognition of people. And you got all those thumbs up and likes and all that. Way to go. Good job. Hashtag for real though, right? <laughs> or we do the humble brag thing. The humble brag thing like, I would be watching college football today. I see someone had a boomer sooner. Is that you? Is that a boomer sooner? Is that, oh, I thought it was a boomer sooner. I thought it said OU on your little mask there. Oh, you're an Aggie. Okay, okay. The Aggie's one too, right? And you're like, I would be watching the Aggies today, but, oh, my wife and I were going to Star Hope and Selfie, we're, we're serving all these homeless people here, like, you know, hashtag Jesus, hashtag homeless, right? And you're like, oh, that's, some, you're so sacrificial, you didn't watch the Aggies beat Florida, oh, that's awesome. 
And we're going to go before God one day or before Jesus, and he's going to say, so what did you do on that Saturday? You're like, oh, I, I went to Star Hope. We, we served people food, and we donated clothing and all this stuff. And Jesus is like, okay, but you did it for the sake of likes, retweets, shares, and all that, the thumbs up. That's your reward. Or maybe this way, that some people would give, and we live in a, a democracy, I understand that, and we live in a very like corporate culture and people would see the, the pastor as the CEO and the elder board as the board. And you say, well, I give this much every year. And I know the budget of Bayou City Fellowship. And I give this much a year. And you look at your giving as being a shareholder, stock in the company. And so you say, you know what? I give this much. And because I give this much, I should have a voice here. I should come to the board and say, look, I give this much money. I have this many shares. And because of that, I should have more voice than those who don't give as much as I do. You know what James says to that? James says, you know what? As pastors and leaders, if you have somebody who comes to your doors and one man is wealthy and another man is poor and you show preferential treatment to the wealthy, he says you've just sinned. Racism and preferential treatment is a sin. So he says, in the kingdom of God, we all are equal at the cross. Are you all with me? We're all members of the body of Christ. So just because you give more, what you should be doing is really thanking God more than anything. Saying, God, the reason why I can give this much more than this other person, this other family who's been furloughed or lost her job is because of you, God. My job is just the resource. You're the source. So, so the church is not a company. The church is not a corporation. You're not a shareholder or stockholder. The pastor's not the CEO and the board is not the board of uh, the corporate board. There are people who are called to spiritually lead this church to feed you, to protect you, to help you grow, to equip you. That's what we're called to do. But again, in that world, often we have this mindset of like, I give this much and I should have a voice. And again, our motives are, I want control. Um, many years ago, I got a call from a, a lady and she called me and I get random calls every now and then from people. And she said, hey, I, my mom is sick. She's at this hospice care, and one of your members is the orderly, the nurse tech, caring for my mom. I said, that's great. And I thought she was going to say, so can you come and pray for my mom? I'd love for you to come, anoint her head with oil, and pray for her. But instead, she said, and I found out that this member of your church has a great financial need. They've got a family, and they've got some financial needs. And I'm like, okay. So she said, I want to help with those financial needs. And I'm like, yes, great. And I said, so what can I do to help you then? Do you need their address? You need, you know, how, you know what do you want me to do? And she said, um, this is what I want to do. I want to donate to the church, your church, and then I want you all to write a check to that person. And I said, man, we can't do that. And she said, why not? And I said, really, that's Christian money laundering. <laughs> and then she said, well, I work for a Christian. I've, I've given to missionaries before. I said, that's a different story. Missionaries and benevolence are two different things. And so I said, here's what I encourage you to do. If you really feel compelled and called by God to help this family, God has gripped your heart, put money in an envelope, write a check, whatever, and give it to them. Amen. And then she's like, no, I really want to give it to your church. And it's not my church, but give it to the church you pastor and then write them a check. And so I said, ma'am, I said, we cannot do that. And then I said, that's Christian money laundering. And then I said, we get in trouble with the IRS. And then she said this to me. Uh, no, I asked her this question. I'm sorry. I said to her, I said, why do you want to give to us and then for us to now give to, him, to this person? And she said, so I can get the write-off. I want the tax write-off. And so I said, okay. I said, God's gripped your heart and your motive part of it is you want the tax write-off. 
So I said to this uh, sister in Christ, and she was older than I am, probably older than my mom, so I said very respectfully, I said, ma'am, I said, around the world, about a third of the countries in our world, they do not give churches tax exemption. They will not give you a write-off for what you give. And I said, in the next 10 years, a lot of Christian leaders have been saying that America is going to begin to say, you know what, churches are not tax exempt, and donations of churches are not a write-off. And so I said, um, so this is kind of the direction we're heading. So I just said to her again, please, if you feel compelled and called to give, please just give. I was talking to my mentor, my spiritual father, Dr. Evans. I said, what happens if that happens, if the church is no longer exempt, as counties and cities and states are realizing budget shortfalls, and they look at the church and say, ooh, there's a lot of money coming into the church. If we tax them, we can meet some budget shortfalls. We can help pay for schools. We can do all these things, right? What happens if that happens? And he says, as kingdom disciples, as followers of Jesus who see everything they own as belonging to God, that they're just managers of it, then it shouldn't change their giving. If they were giving 10% of their gross income when it was tax deductible, and now that it's not, they should continue to give because what changed may be the laws, but the one who provided didn't change, amen? So that's my, my ask of you all, is that if that were to happen, that this church, the members here would say, you know what, I'm a kingdom citizen. I believe Jesus is my king. Everything I have comes from God, belongs to God. He just called me to, to be a steward over it, to manage it, and I want to see God's kingdom advanced. And you know what, whether I get a write-off or not, whether I have to pay more taxes because not, I will give because my money is not my money. Amen? So he says here, make sure your motives are pure. Your motives are pure for what you post on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, how you share certain stories of what you did this weekend. He said, if you're doing it for the applause of people or for the write-off or any other motive other than saying, God, I want to glorify you. He said, you may get a reward here on earth. You may get the write-off. You may get the applause, but you've lost it with God in eternity. And look at this. Go back to Matthew 6. Matthew 6. Here's the challenge of that, is that all of us in our carnal selves, our selfish selves, we are glory hounds. We want credit for what we've done. We want to be recognized for what we've done. If tomorrow you walk into work and your boss says to you, hey, you know what, we have this huge project coming up, huge project, global pipeline, this and that, offshore drilling, all this stuff, and we want you to head the project. And you're like, okay, you're going to do a lot of the research, a lot of the work, and this is going to just change our company. It's going to make us millions of dollars. It's going to help everybody. And you're like, okay, okay. And you're thinking, and if you get this job done, there's a bonus at the end. But then your boss says, and if you get this done, I'm going to put my name on the project. And I'm going to take credit for it. You'd be like, excuse me? Like, I'm going to do all the work? You're going to put your name on it and then bring it to the board and the CEO? No way. No way. That's not happening, right? In school, if you're in school and you say, we're going to do a group project, four names on the project. So that means everyone should do about 25% of the work. You do 90% of the work. And you're like, I got to give credit to these other three knuckleheads, right? Who only did 10% of the work together. Three and a third percent, three and a third, three and a third, and I did 90% of the work. And naturally, we want to say, I want to be the headliner. I want to be the front one. If I did the work, I should get the credit. But God says, all right, if that's how you operate in the world, you'll get your credit. You'll get your applause before God. You've lost it. Look at verse 2 again. So when you give, verse 3, but when you give. So here's point number two. Jesus assumes his followers will give of their financial resources. He assumes that we're going to give. He didn't say if, he said when. 
He said when. Because God has blessed you, God has provided for you, he doesn't say if you give, he says when you give. So point two is Jesus assumes his followers will give their resources. Just like this, for those of you with kids at home, you provide a roof over their head, you provide food and shelter and clothing for them, you maybe even get them to school and back, you don't have them come home from school and say to them, if you do your homework, you say, look, when you do your homework, you don't say, if you clean your room, you say, when you clean your room, because blessings come with responsibilities, amen? That's what Jesus says, when you give to the poor, when you give to the poor, he's assuming as his children, we will, because God has blessed us. Now, here's the thing. I don't know about you all, but um, I study animal science, probably the weirdest thing to think about. I studied animal science, food science in college, and I tell people that I still work with sheep, but I don't work with them directly, you know? <laughs> I'm a shepherd still. We studied this whole class on parasites, on parasites, intestinal parasites and parasites. This is what a parasite does. A parasite gets benefit from the body. A leech gets benefit from the body but gives nothing in return. And you know what? The body of Christ, there's a lot of leeches hanging on. People who are benefiting from the body of Christ, benefiting from Bayou City Fellowship and giving nothing back in return. It's getting very quiet in here, y'all. He says, he assumes that we're going to give. If you have gotten then give. If you've never gotten anything from God, here's the thing, if God has never given you anything, you have a right to not give anything. But if God has given you something, everything, he says when you give. But then it says this in verse 3, and let's wrap up here. He says, but when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. What does that mean? Do it in so, so secretive. So like, don't look at me. Not, it's often look at me. It's saying, instead of saying, look at me, it's like so under the table. You don't even know what you're doing. Verse four, so that your giving will be in secret and your father who sees in secret, uh, sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Underline that word will. He says, if you do that, if you give secretly, pure motives, God will reward you. Here's point number three. If you want to gain your reward from God, then give secretly. If you want to gain your reward from God, then give secretly. He says again, but when you give to the poor, he's assuming we will. Instead of raising your hand saying, look at me, blowing your horn, tweeting it, Instagramming it, IGing it. He says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Verse 4, so that your giving will be in secret and your father sees what is done in secret will reward you. That word secret there is a Greek word, kryptos, kryptos, from which we get the English word kryptonite. Just kidding, y'all. That's a joke. I'm seeing if y'all listening. It's from the word cryptic. We have the English word cryptic or crypt. Cryptic is this. If someone sends you a cryptic text message, it means there's a hidden meaning. A crypt is where they hide bodies. So he's saying, if you have hidden secret Things that you do. You don't need the recognition of people. He says, God will reward you. You'll gain a reward from God. Uh, many years ago, um, I taught on this very same passage uh, to our church in San Antonio. And right after that Sunday, we left. I did a series of revivals, I think, at a church in uh, Tyler, Texas. And we didn't have a whole lot of money, so often I'd preach revivals, and we'd go there, and that became our vacation. So at night, I preached these revivals, and I was doing a youth revival at St. Paul Baptist Church. Uh, Black uh, Baptist Church in Tyler, Texas. And then we go visit like the Rose Garden or the zoo during the day. We came back from vacation. And I had just preached on this the Sunday before. 
And on our porch was a brand new bicycle in a box still. Our daughter, uh, older daughter was about five or six and the younger was three. She was going from being her little training wheel, little girl bike to now big, bro big girl bike. And on our porch was a big girl bike. And so can you imagine coming home from vacation and you see a big girl bike sitting on your front porch. And so we're looking for a card or a note or something. There's nothing on there. So I pick up the bike. We unload our luggage and get inside. And then we're like, wow, like this is strange. A bike that we don't know who gave it to us, right? And so then um, we have this policy in our home. Before you use money or use a gift that someone's given, you have to thank the person first. And so then, you know, our three-year-old daughter's excited. She has her first big girl bike. And she's like, Daddy, build the bike, build the bike, build it. I want to ride it, I want to ride it. And I said, but you know, we have to thank the person first before we ride it, before we use it. And she's like, so who, who gave it to us? Who gave it to us? And I said, I don't know. There's no card. There's nothing on there. So then the phone rings. And this is on the caller ID days. And the caller said, unknown caller on the caller ID. I pick it up. Did you get the bike? And I'm like, yes, we did. And before I could say, who is this? Thank you, whatever. Click. They hung up. And I'm like, what? So I hang up the phone and I said, who was that? And I said, some guy with a kind of a New York accent said, did you get the bike? And they hung up. And so I had a friend from New York. And so I called him up and I said, hey, did you leave us a bike on our porch for our daughter? He's like, I have no clue what you're talking about. And I said, okay. So then our minds, our just imaginations run wild. And I'm like, okay, maybe it's your mother-in-law. Maybe it's this. Then my wife said, I know. It's a child abductor. They left the, porch, the bike on the porch. We're going to put it together. And our daughter's going to ride around the block. And the kidnapper's going to be there. And they're going to kidnap our daughter. And I was like, oh, my goodness. Yeah. So here's the thing. I have a friend of mine in federal law enforcement. So I called him up and I said, hey, weird request. He said, what's up? And I said, I got this call. Bike on the porch. We don't know who it's from. Can't figure it out. And I said, I get a call. Unknown caller. Did he get the bike? And I said, do you have any friends at the phone company that can maybe trace the call? Give us a number, whoever, right? And he's like, I'll work on it. I'm like, all right, thank you. So then I get some more luggage in, and then I walk outside to get the luggage. And our neighbor, who's a member of our church, he and his wife and uh, kids are part of our church, he's watering the lawn. And he's like, hey, I noticed there's like a package or something on your porch, like a big box or something. And I'm like, yeah, it was a bike. He goes, oh, it was a bike, huh? I'm like, yeah. And I said, but here's the thing. There's no note, no card on it. And we got this policy with to thank the person first where we use it, you know. And he's like, okay. And I said, but here's the good news. He's like, what's the good news? I was like, man, I got a friend in federal law enforcement, and they're trying to trace the call. He's like, no, 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 don't do that. Don't call the NSA, the CIA, FBI. You don't need to do that. And I'm like, what do you mean? He said, there's some people at the church who heard the sermon about giving secretly, and they knew your daughter wanted a new bike, and so we bought a bike, but they want to remain anonymous. I'm like, okay, don't call the NSA. Don't call the CIA. Like, don't go Jason Bourne on us, all right? I'm like, okay, okay, okay. And you know what, you all? This spiritual discipline of giving secretly should be that creepy. <laughs> when you, and as I'm saying this right now, the spirit I know is working in your heart. You know somebody who's been furloughed or laid off. You know somebody right now. That person is right now on your mind. And tomorrow... When you, $500 in cash, $1,000 in cash, envelope with their name, you leave it in their locker or leave it under their doormat or leave it somewhere where they're going to find it. And here they are struggling to pay bills, make ends meet. They open that door, open that locker, and that envelope falls out. Their wife needs surgery. Their son or daughter's going through college. 
They have a big financial need and they see that envelope with their name on it. They open it up and look. This is what they're going to do. They're going to look around. And you know what? When we do that anonymously, do you know who gets the credit? God does. God does. They're going to sit there and go, how did this happen? What's going on? When you um, go to buy gifts this year for Christmas for your kids and nephews and nieces, grandchildren, maybe you don't want to buy gifts for them, but you also say, you know what, kids, we're also going to buy gifts for people that have needs, kids that can't afford gifts. And rather than giving it like in a big public thing, saying, look at us, we're amazing, angel tree or whatever, I'm not dissing any of those things, but maybe you say, hey, we're going to give those things secretly. We're going to find a family in need at Bayou City Fellowship or maybe at the homeless shelter or something. And rather than saying, from the Smith family, from us, we're just going to give it anonymously. So when they open up on Christmas morning, they're going to say, wow, how did they know? Who's been so good to us? And the only person they can go to is they can say, wow, God is, is so good. And that's what we can do. So here's the big idea for today. Give secretly so one day God reward you openly. Give secretly so one day God reward you openly. Again, if you live for the applause of people today, the recognition, the likes, the retweets, and the favorites, and the hugs and cares and all that, and the hearts, if you live for that today, Jesus says, no reward for you. But he says, if you do good deeds, if you do good things, giving especially in secret, the, the secrecy, this one of secrecy. And here's the thing. I, money, it's not just about money either. It can be this. It can be a type letter that's anonymous. Because you know what? As pastors, we get a lot of anonymous letters, and they're never good ones. They're always, music's too loud, this person, you, you said this wrong, you offended me, all this stuff, or whatever it may be. But I'm not, I'm not asking for this for me. But I'm saying for maybe the elders here, the staff, maybe for people at your work that you know that you're overlooked, you say, you know what, Icky, I don't have that kind of money. So maybe it's a $25 gift card to Target or HEB, but with that anonymous letter, it simply says, you know what? God sees what you're doing. I see what you're doing. And I just want to encourage you that you are a valuable part of this company. You're a valuable part of this church. I see your hard work. I appreciate you. I want to encourage you. I don't have much, but please take your family out to dinner with this gift card or something like that. And it's anonymous. So it's not like, again, you say your name on it, and so one day when that elder comes to you and say, hey, remember I gave you that $500 gift card, and I want you carpet in the auditorium because, you know what, I'm a stakeholder here. But if you do it anonymous, another way you can do it. So again, give secretly so one day you will be rewarded openly. Hey, I don't know uh, this, um, but the other way that we can grow as we practice secrecy is we walk in the ways of God. We walk like God walks when we give anonymously and secretly. Did y'all know that? We walk in the ways of God, how God does things, when we give, serve, and do things anonymously and secretly. Here's why I say that. Um, how many of y'all believe this? Does God deserve all the glory? If you believe that, raise your hand. Does God deserve all the glory? This is how we do it at Spring Branch. I don't know how y'all do it at Cyprus, all right? Cyprus folks, I don't know. But this is Spring Branch. That's where I'm the lead pastor. Talking to a member the other day, he said, Pastor, I get up at 4 a.m. And the moment I wake up, my eyes open first breath I take. I say, thank you, Lord, for that breath. Thank you, Lord, for that breath. Thank you, Lord, for that second breath. Thank you, Lord, that I can open my eyes. And he says, I get out of bed, and the first step I take, 
I say, Lord, thank you for enervating my nerves through my mind, into my glutes, into my quads, that I can take this step. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Praise you, Jesus. Thank you. Every step. They said, from the moment they get up, they're just thanking God for every single step. And then their, their wife gets up, and then they're like, and then, and then we spend time in the Word together. And they said, you know what, like, we know that there are countries where there's no Bibles. And we have the Bible in English, and God has revealed himself to us. So our one-hour devotion becomes like three hours. It's like 7 o'clock, because we're so in worship, and in just worshiping God, and listening to God, and worshiping God, because we're so thankful for that. And then 7 o'clock rolls around, and then we're like, okay, it's time for breakfast. And so they have a bowl of Cheerios, and they said, you know, this is what we do. We take each Cheerio individually, and we hold it up to God. And say, God, thank you for this Cheerio. You made the sun to shine down on us so that the oak plant could grow. You provided the water and the soil. Thank you for this Cheerio. And then they eat that Cheerio. And they do that for every single Cheerio. And soon the 7 o'clock breakfast now is like, it's like 9 o'clock already. Because they thank God for every little thing. And then, I don't know about you all, but driving on the Houston highways is like NASCAR. And so then they get in their cars and they say, Lord, thank you for this car. Every car they pass without getting hit, they Lord, thank you that I didn't get hit. Thank you for protecting. Thank you for watching over me. And then they get to work. And already they're late. It's already 9.30. They're late by 30 minutes. And so then in the parking lot, they're like, God, thank you for this job. Thank you for my boss. Thank you for this staff. I thank you for this income. Thank you for my health. They're just in the car just having a praise party in their car. And then finally they get to work, and then everyone that comes by, hey, hey, Jim, I'm just so thankful for you. You're such a great manager. Hey, Betty, thank you for just being just an amazing person, working with our HR. Thank you. And they're just thanking God for every single person. Lunch comes around, same thing. They're thanking God for the lettuce and the bread and every little piece and every sip they take, they thank God for. And then they get through the rest of the workday thanking God for every little moment. They get home, have dinner, and they said, kids, before we eat dinner, we're going to go around the table and thank God for what he's done today and in our lives. And that 7 o'clock dinner, all of a sudden it's already 9 o'clock. And they haven't eaten because they've been just sharing every little thing that God has done throughout the day. So finally it's 9 o'clock and they eat and then they're about to go to bed and say, kids, before we go to bed, let's thank God for everything he's done today in our lives. And they spend another hour in prayer together. Finally they're in bed and they're back up at 4 a.m. again doing the exact same thing because they recognize everything that God does and provides throughout the day. We all do that, don't we? Right? We all do that, right? Right? That's our lives. Like we, we every moment, just every breath, thanking God for every little thing he provides. At least... How are we doing? Spring Branch, y'all. All right. In reality, we wake up, groan, and instead of saying, good morning, Lord, we say, good Lord, it's morning. We get out of bed, oh, my hip, oh, I got to go to work again, oh, this stupid job, my boss, kids are on my last nerve, all this stuff. But you know what? Here's the thing. Because you don't recognize what God is doing in your life, because you don't recognize what God has done in your life, because you don't recognize what God has provided in your life, does God all of a sudden say, stop, nope, no more. God continues to give, to bless, and provide, even when we don't take every single moment of the day recognizing everything he's done. You know why? Because God is doing all those things secretly and anonymously even though God deserves all the glory. And so here we are deserving zero glory, no glory, even though carnally we desire all glory. And God says, you know what? If you want to glorify me, 
If you want people to see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven, you know what you do? Give, serve, bless secretly and anonymously. Let's pray. God, uh, as I've been up here, I know that your spirit has been at work in our hearts. And God, I pray for our hearts that it be good soil, that when the seed of your word is planted, it will lead to fruit, good works that benefit others and glorify you. Transformative work in our lives, that we would do good works with a motive, with a desire to glorify you. God, in and of itself, there's nothing wrong about posting on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook about things that we're doing. But my prayer, God, is that our desire, our motive would be so that we can point people to you. We don't do it for likes and the applause of people. But God, so that you would be famous. You would be made to look good. And God, we blow our trumpet in so many ways. Toot our own horn. God, would you forgive us? We've seen clearly from the text today that when we toot our own horns to show off our good works <laughs> and we get the applause, we get the recognition, that's our reward. We've lost our reward with you. God, I pray that you would find us faithful here. And God, one of the ways we can do that is to give secretly. So God, I know in a room this size, in a body this size, You've been at work in our hearts and you've laid the name of a, a, a family member, a family, a friend, a co-worker, a church member, an attender who we know has a financial need, who has a loved one going into surgery that we can anonymously provide a meal, a gift card to a restaurant, anonymously give to help them pay bills and make ends meet. So God, when they receive that gift, when they receive that letter, when they receive that present with no card, no note, no name, God, that they would give you glory and give you praise and that your fame would spread and your kingdom would advance. God, I pray now for those who've yet to put their faith in Christ. God, you met our greatest need to be forgiven by you, to be right with you, and you sent your only begotten son, Jesus Christ. And you tell us that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. So today, God, I pray that there be somebody here today who has yet to put their faith and trust in you, would say, Jesus, I trust you. I believe that you died for me to meet my greatest need. Thank you, God, that you meet our needs. You even spoil us by meeting our wants. You provided for us. And God, you do it quietly and anonymously, secretly, even though you deserve all glory. The heavens declare the glory of God. And here we are, finite, limited, frail, broken, deserving no glory. And yet each of us here are recognition and glory hounds. So again, God, would you forgive us and help us to grow by giving secretly, by giving anonymously, to practice that spiritual discipline. And we ask it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. I'm gonna ask the prayer team to come on up here. So prayer team, if you just line up here. If you need prayer, whether response to this message or if you've trusted Christ, 
Uh, the team would love to pray for you. And then secondly, on your phones, on the Bike City Fellowship app, there's a section that says prayer. If you tap that, we'd love to pray for you. You can submit your prayer request. We would love to pray with you and for you.